I'm going to talk to you tonight. Um, first of all, I want to apologize. Um, mothers, did all the mothers here get their little Mother's Day gift from us? Yay, woohoo! Um, if those of you that know me know that I like to do things that are in themes, right? Like I like themed paperware. If we're going to have Thanksgiving, I want to have Thanksgiving paperware that matches the Thanksgiving theme. And I like to follow the church calendar, and I like to do things that are themed. So tonight you'd think I would be having a Mother's Day sermon, but I'm, I'm not doing that tonight, so I apologize. It's completely out of character. Normally I would follow the theme of Mother's Day, but I'm breaking tradition and getting crazy. Is that okay with you guys? Um, a lot of you know my daughter Emma. She came back from, and she'll be here. Um, she's babysitting tonight because I'm like, that girl's got to make money. So, you know, but she will be here when she's not making money, and she'll tell you a little testimony of what she's learned over the last year. Thank you, darling. Um, at, she was at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Some people call it the Hogwarts, the Christian Hogwarts or something like that, which is real, real funny. Um, and she has loved it. And I had the opportunity to go out this, I got there on Monday Drove up. I got there in Sacramento. Drove up to Reading. Saw. Um, was at the graduation. They had two ceremonies. They graduated 1,300 first years. So they they broke it up into two. They had a morning graduation session and an afternoon graduation session. I stayed for both sessions because my friend Carla was graduating in the first, and then Emma was graduating the second. So I got six to eight hours of graduation experience of Bethel. And it really made me think I'd been asking the Lord, because like I said, I like to do themed sermons and stay, stay with tradition and all that kind of thing. And I just couldn't think of a good Mother's Day message. So I kept asking the Lord, what do you want me to preach about? What do you want me to preach about? Well, when I was at Bethel, I was like, oh, this is what you want me to preach about. And so I just wanted to kind of go over what I saw when... Um, when I was there, just for that short period of time, I didn't get to sit on any classes. I only, I only saw this, this great celebration, right? And so what they did is they, like any other celebration or any other um, graduation, they had all the kids on the floor. They had the parents on the side. It's a big civic auditorium that they've actually taken over from the city, and they pay the city to have their students come and use this as their main teaching venue. And this is where the students were. And then they had Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton and all the different people up on the stage, and they were the ones that gave the speeches and gave away their little um, diplomas, right? Thir you know, so 600 and then 600. The interesting thing is the kids are all in what we call RG groups, revival groups, because Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry is all about revival. That's their number one thing. We want to bring revival to the earth. And so they have revival groups, and they have a pastor for about 70 people, per revival group. So that would, if 1,300 kids, that would be 15 to 20 pastors, right? Revival group pastors. So when the, when the students went to get their diploma, the revival group pastor would go first, be introduced, then he'd stand at the end of the line and hug each student as they came through. Well, as the revival group pastor would come to the stage, his name or her name, they had just as many females, would be um, introduced and 600 students on the floor would rise to their feet, roar, clap their hands, and give a standing ovation every single time a revival group pastor was introduced. Every single time. So I thought, wow, these people must be powerful, 
Like, you know, they must have a reputation. I mean, I can't believe that all these, all these kids or all these students knew these pastors, that they would give them such applause. And then at the end of each, um, at the end of each session, they gave out a special award for somebody, you know, that had been nominated by the revival group pastors. They went through this kind of selection process, and then out of 20 students, one student re- would receive the such-and-such Bill Johnson Award, something like that. And they got a full-ride tuition to the next year's school, and it was about a $5,000 award. And so they would, they, the, the guy would get up there and, and read off all the nominees and talk about the nominees, and then would award the um, tuition to the person who won. I had never seen a crowd stomping and on their feet before for someone who won an award like that. I was like, this person who won this award, again, must be a rock star. Like, they must be incredible walking around with signs and wonders. Everybody knows them. They're, they're, they've got incredible followers and, and whatever. And I was talking to Emma, and I said, I said, tell me about these RG pastors. Tell me about this person who won this award. They got such applause from the crowd. And she goes, I've never seen them before in my life. She goes, I don't even know who they are. I've never talked to them. I've never seen them. I don't know anything about that guy who won the award. And I said, what do you mean? I am not, when, I, when I say they wrote, they went, they roared, stood to their feet, and screamed at the top of their lungs every single time that one of those people would come up. And I said, why do you do that if you didn't know that person? She goes, oh, that's, the, that's a value we've been taught here. It's the value of honor. She goes, that's one of our values that they taught us here is that we are going to operate in a culture of honor. And I went, what? Oh, my gosh. And what I began to, to realize, and then each, each student, to get in, they have to scan, like, one of those um, barcodes to make sure that, to record their attendance. And on the back of those, like what we used to have, Janet, for the women's ministry, you know, the little um, lanyards, and we had your schedule on the back. Well, on the back of their schedule, they had all their core values. So they have about 12 core values, and I'm going to read them off to you. And they wore them around their neck every single day they were at school. And this is what they learned the whole year they were there, was they were immersed in these values, this culture that Bethel's going after. And what it made me realize is what Bethel has become so successful at, whether you're on board with them or not, doesn't matter. They have decided this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to be for, and we're going to intentionally go after that. Everything we do is going to be geared toward these values that we have because we are going to get them into your head no matter what. When Emma comes here, next time she comes here, I'm going to have her say the little chant she said to me. She, she, I was talking to her about some kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I can do that. She goes, fire, rise up. And she started doing this whole thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. But, but my point is she is experiencing and has learn to experience a paradigm shift in the way she's thinking because of the intentionality that she has, she has what she's experienced there at Bethel. And that's what I think that we need to get hold of in our own lives is the power of being intentional. I want to read you some things about what Bethel has done and, and, and um, this, especially the school. This last... Um, Wednesday, they graduated, graduated over 2,500 students in three class groups. In 21 years, 
They've graduated over 11,000. They started with 37 21 years ago. They had this year 970 students from other countries, from 73 other countries. And according to Homeland Security, we're the largest vocational school, not like uh, an accredited like Harvard or something, but the largest accredited school of international students in the United States was Bethel. I love this. The youngest was 18. Guess what the, old, how old, what the oldest student was? 85. 85. <laughs> There's only 91,000 people in the city of Reading, and yet they've got this incredible school, that Bethel, school and ministry that Bethel has planted in the city of Reading. They did a couple of um, studies about the students that go to that BSSM and, and um, what their characteristics are like, and one of them is they are four times more likely to be married after five years than the general population. Isn't that interesting? I want to read you something. This is actually came off of USA Today, which is not really a Christian um, newspaper. It's a um, kind of a secular one. And this is what they write. Bethel Church may not be a household name in California, but it should be. Because there is no other institution in our state better engaging with its hometown than Bethel and its 11,000-plus members. That's what I wanted to get, 11,000-plus members in a 91,000-person city. One to nine. When Reading's Civic Auditorium was failing, Bethel and its members didn't do years-long study. They quickly put together a nonprofit, Advanced Reading, that now manages the auditorium and donates to other local charities, including the Cascade Theater and the Riverfront Playhouse. When the Reading Police Department was about to lay off four officers, Bethel and its members launched a fundraising drive to pay the cops' salary. After the car fire destroyed more than 1,000 residents last summer, Bethel gave $1,000 in cash, no strings attached, to every family, church member or not, who had lost a home. Usually when my phone rings, somebody wants something, says Reading Police Chief Roger Moore, who credits ministry school students with helping revitalize the troubled Buckeye Terrace area of the city. When, but when they call, it's always to ask if we need anything. They have never asked me for anything. Um, and you know, when I was researching for this, a lot of times you'll find stuff in like um, Christian magazines. They're like, we hate Bethel, we love Bethel, we hate Bethel, we love Bethel. There was, there was coverage in, of Bethel by BuzzFeed. And BuzzFeed is one of those not particularly pro-Christian kind of news organizations, right? And it was positive. And I'm telling you, it's because Bethel has decided to make an intentional impact on the city that it's in. They've decided that they want to bless Reading, and they've made an intentional plan to do that. Here's the, um, here's the core values that were on the back of that little lanyard I was telling you about. And I, you know I love this. Number one, God is good. Salvation creates joyful identity. Be responsive to grace. Focus on his presence. Creating healthy family. God's word transforms. God is still speaking. Jesus empowers supernatural ministry. His kingdom is advancing. Free and responsible. Honor affirms value. Generous like my father. Hope in a glorious church. That's what those kids, students, I shouldn't say kids, students, 85 years old, that's no kid, right? 
Those students were immersed in that for nine months. Those values over and over and over and over. And here's the thing. It's changing the atmosphere of that city, and it's changing the students that go there because of that intentional, those intentional values. You know, you heard me talk about Chris, bless his heart. Yep, we went to Centura Hospital here Wednesday at 5 a.m. You know, he was standing by the side of the bed, and he was groaning, and he couldn't move. And I'm like, well, I can't move him. So I had to call the ambulance, and they came and took him over there. I don't, how many of you guys have spent any, I know you have, Janet. How many of you guys spent any significant time over there at Centura? Karen? Oh, yeah, Karen. I don't know if you're going to agree with anything I say, but maybe you will or not. Um, my son Christian, when he became an EMT, he was hired by Littleton, which is also in the Centura um, system. That's right. Thank you, Bob. And um, he would complain to me about all the rigmarole that he would have to go through, the videos he'd have to watch, and the touchy-feely this and that that he'd have to do. And, and I was talking to him about my sermon. He said, yeah. He said, one of their rules, you'll love this, and I'm like, this should be a rule for everybody. When you are 50 feet down the hall from somebody, you have to make eye contact and wave. Like if you're passing down the hall and you see somebody 50 feet away, you have to like make some gesture of recognition. And when you're 20 feet away, you have to say, hey, how's it going? What's up? You have to talk to them. You have to vis- verbally talk. How many of you guys have been at a work where you've passed down the hall and that person has deliberately not spoken to you? Anybody here? Mine was at the last place I worked. Walked down the hall, and people didn't look you in the eye and didn't speak to you. So he said, you know, he goes, Mom, I used to think that was so hokey and ridiculous. Another one of the rules, I was just talking to him, rules, guidelines, was that if, if um, somebody, if you were at the hospital and somebody looked like they were lost and didn't know where they were going, you would say to them, hey, do you need help finding blah, blah, blah? And they're like, yeah, I can't find medical records, say. Well, he, you were supposed to, unless it was an emergency, walk that person to medical records. You weren't allowed to say, oh, it's down the hall, follow the sign, blah, blah. You were to walk them to that. If you're walking past a room and the alarm went off, again, if you weren't supposed to be doing something else, you're supposed to go in that room and say, can I help you? What's going on? How can I help you? That was part of their censure training. Now, when he was doing it, he would say to me, he would come home sometimes, he'd be like, ugh, I've got to get re- certified for my sensitivity training or my culture training or my blah, blah, blah training, you know. And he would, you know, complain about it and think it's hokey and all that kind of thing. And then what he told me was, Mom, I used to think that stuff was crap until I got hired at Sky Ridge. Does anyone work here for Sky Ridge? Until I got hired at Sky Ridge. And he goes, they don't have any of that. They don't even speak to each other when you work at the same place. He says, it's a completely different culture at Sky Ridge than it is Centura. And I didn't value it till I, didn't, till I saw the contrast. He said, and so I went, I, he, then he started working in both places. He started working at Sky Ridge and Centura kind of on call. He says, I went back to Centura, Littleton. He said, and people in the lab that I didn't even work with but recognized me, greeted me, and said, hey, so glad to see you again. He goes, it was as radical as night and day. He says, and I did not appreciate it when I was here because, but he says, it's an incredibly different atmosphere at Sky Ridge than it is Centura. 
So I was like, you know, I love Centura. Can I, when I was there, um, I go, who here doesn't go to Mana? I go to Mana. Who's, have you guys been to Mana? We need to take you people. It's a restaurant. Um, the hospital over there, Centura has a, um, Karen used to work there, has a restaurant. And they actually have pretty gourmet food at reasonable prices. They have organic food that they grow in their garden. They buy locally. It's a really, really good restaurant. A lot of us locals go there. And I'll walk past their little board that has, these are our values, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how nice. But now that I've kind of spent some time there in the ER, and I've walked around, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is completely cool. I was going to medical records, and I saw one of those big, long banners that said, creation, and it had a Bible verse underneath it. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. And it completely changes the atmosphere of the hospital when, let me tell you, one of their core values is spirituality. Let me read this for you. Compassion, integrity, stewardship, excellence, respect, spirituality, and imagination. Those are the core values of Centura, and they have them posted in the hospital, right outside of the Manor restaurant, and kind of all over the hospital, right, Janet? In fact, um, it's a faith-based, nonprofit organization. They, um, they actually are the only hospital up in Summit County, and Summit, Summit County came to them and said, you know, listen, these, these medical costs are outrageous. We really need to work together to bring them down. And Centura said, yeah, you're right. We're going to work together to make health insurance more affordable for you. So they're, they're doing this incredibly um, out there pioneer project where they're working hand-in-hand -hand with insurers up there to reduce the cost of health care in Summit County, which is not what we hear medical hospitals doing very often, right? I mean, am I right? Thank you, people in medical. This is what... Um, CEO Gary Campbell says, we are not focused on getting better, but on transforming healthcare and getting better, said Centura CEO Gary Campbell. As an example, Centura is developing the rural hospital of the future in Leadville. It is a tremendous strain on rural community hospitals with a small base of patients, so we are determining what is a sustainable way to deliver healthcare in the future to communities like Leadville and Kremling, where the hospital system is now operating hospitals for government agencies that owned and had been financially struggling hospitals in those cities. So they are focused on not making money. They're focused on, on the patient. They're focused on service. They're focused on how do we serve the people that we've been entrusted to in a way that um, incorporates faith and spirituality. I think that's fantastic. I'm just a huge, I'm a raving fan of the Century Health System. Can I tell you that? Who else here is a raving fan? And you'll probably all of you, there's a, there's a restaurant here in Castle Rock, now there's two, that is made up of raving fans. And it's never open on Sunday. Chick-fil-A. Guess which is the most successful restaurant in the country per restaurant? Not overall sales, because it doesn't have as many restaurants as some of the other ones. But guess what the most successful restaurant is for sales per store? Chick-fil-A. McDonald's is second to Chick-fil-A 
not in overall sales, McDonald's is in overall sales, but second to Chick-fil-A in per store sales because Chick-fil-A wants raving fans. Their whole intentionality is how do we get our fans to be raving, to come back, to be willing to pay a little bit more money for incredible service and incredible food. Is there anybody here who does not like Chick-fil-A? I mean, you can raise your hand. Does not everybody here love Chick-fil-A? By the way, that number of the restaurant being the, the most profitable per store is six days a week, not seven days a week like every other store. McDonald's is open seven days a week. Wendy's is open seven days a week, and yet Chick-fil-A beats them store by store six days a week. Come on, people. <clears throat> Again, I have personal experience with this because all three of my kids worked at Chick-fil-A, and all three of them complained about how they had to be taught to say, my pleasure. My pleasure, my pleasure, all the time. And they would complain and groan and moan about being drilled with how to respond to customers. Customers documented that employees were more likely to say thank you and had an order accuracy rate of 97% and displayed a pleasant demeanor in nine out of every 10 visits. The staff turnover at Chick-fil-A is one-third that of normal fast food restaurants because their emphasis is on customer satisfaction, satisfaction and employee satisfaction. In fact, they're considered one of the best business models in the United States. <laughs> Here's the eight things that they do right. Happy employees and service. They're clean. They know what they're great at. They aren't cheap. They're not the cheapest. They have great ambiance. They have good community involvement and an awesome website. And the reason I want to talk about these three, you guys, because I think they are really good examples of faith-based organizations that have decided what they're going to go after, and they've set an intentional plan to go after that. Now, one thing I want to talk about, you know, when I was praying with Pastor Bob, if you guys know me, I've got no desire to make you feel guilty because you're not reading your Bible enough or you're not doing X, Y, or Z enough. You've just got to be better. I've got no interest in laying performance stuff on you guys. i got no interest in that. But what I want to do is motivate you. What I want to do is say, listen, it's that business adage, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And we can say that about our whole lives, right? If we fail to plan, if we fail to be intentional, we're not going to get to where we want to be or, or participate and co-partner in the destiny that God has for us. He does require us to be intentional. And when I look at these three examples and I see that there's fruit of their intentionality, when I look at Reading, whatever they're doing, whatever revival they're doing, it is working, they are getting a name for themselves. And when I was researching um, about Bethel online, millennials are leaving the church in droves, except for places like Bethel. Millennials don't want anything to do with church in general, except for places like Bethel. 
There's something about that that draws them more than any other type worship or any type experience is that kind of ex- is that kind of a expression. They're doing something right. They're doing something right. I look at Centura. I look at Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A closed six day. I mean, they're they're open six, closed one, and they're number one in in same source sales. That's incredible. They're not a public. They're not a public company. They're privately held. Isn't that awesome? So there's a couple things I just I thought I want to talk about intentionality and just what it means for our own lives. First of all, intentionality changes culture. Sometimes we think that what we do in our life doesn't really matter, that we're self-contained or, or that we don't have impact in life. But I want to tell you something. If you get a hold of what God has called you to do and you become intentional at it, you will change the culture around you. I was talking to a Christian about, um, he wants to be an ER doc, and we were talking about different doctor personalities. And he said, you know, I'm afraid if I become an ER doc, I might get really X, Y, or Z. Hard, cold, bitter, whatever. And I said, oh, no. I said, either the world changes you or you change the world. You make a decision. You change the culture or the culture impacts you. What is it going to be? If you're going to change the culture, you've got to have an intentional plan for that. You're going to have to have some intentionality. We all know that when you're married, when you get married, you have to have some intentionality about your relationship. You have to decide that you're going to connect and, and talk to each other when you don't feel like doing it. Or you may have to forgive, or you may have to go to a marriage class, or you may have to go to counseling, or what? Or you may have to be nice and pick up your shoes when you don't want to pick up your shoes, right? But there's an intentionality. We say, for the sake of the relationship, I'm going to be intentional about my actions. Chris Valentin calls that your big yes. What's your big yes that you're so committed to that you're going to create a plan of action to get to your big yes? So I believe intentionality changes the culture around you. Just like Chick-fil-A, Centura, Bethel, they are culture changers. The culture is being altered because of what they've decided to do and to implement. I think intentionality creates results. I don't think that you can have results in your life without intentionality. It goes back to if you plan to fail, or if you fail to plan, you, you, did I say right? You plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. The only way we're going to have results in our life, if we do want a good marriage or good relationship with our kids or have money in the bank, is we have to be intentional about those things. It's, they're not just going to happen. It doesn't just, oh, well, everything will just work out. Anyone who's lived long enough know things don't just work out. We have to plan. We have to take risks. I think sometimes that we are, um, we're afraid to be intentional for a bunch of reasons. We have to be vulnerable to what we really want. And we're afraid other people will see it, so we just don't want to take the risk. We just don't want to take the risk because it's safer. It's safer if we don't really dream we, if we don't say we really want that result, if we keep that to ourselves, if we say, hey, you know, I'll just, I'll just stay in my own little sand pile over here. I'm not going to take any risks, and I'll, I'll be safe. But I just want to tell you something. We were created to be risk takers. We were created to be dreamers. 
We were created to change the culture. We can't do that if we're going to play it safe. We can't do it. Um, I was same research for Bethel. One of the um, one of the contributors is a councilwoman. You know, Chris, uh, Karen Johnson. Oh, she was a councilwoman. She goes, I never dreamed I could do that till I came to Bethel, where Bethel started saying, "What's your dream? What's your dream? How am I? How are we going to help you achieve your dream? What's the dream that God put in your heart, and how are we going to intentionally help you to get there? Intentionality brings results, but you got to be honest about what your dream is." You got to be honest about what God called you to do, and you got to step out. You got to step out and be intentional. And that's scary, but this is the group to do it in. Because what's our thing? We're all broken, we're all sinners, we're all weird. No one's going to point the finger at you because we all have our own stuff, right? So go ahead and dream. What's your dream? What's the dream in your heart? Tell it to somebody and make a plan. Here's the other thing, you guys. If you don't lead, live intentionally, we will degrade to the lowest possible denominator, personally and with society. Have you seen that happen? Have you guys ever seen, and I, we all know marijuana is legal now, but have you ever seen someone who's really addicted to marijuana and what it's done to them? I'll do my impression for you. I, um, a couple years ago, I was talking to a, a mother and her son, and she goes, I really want you to talk to my son about his marijuana use because I think it's, he's, not, he's not working. I guess marijuana really depletes your motivation. This is how we talked. Yeah. I think marijuana's fine. But yeah, I think that, you know... Yeah, we should just all, you know, what's the big deal? Why can't For 30 minutes, that's how he talked. 30 minutes. And I thought to myself, listen, you're not going to go anywhere in life till you get that stuff out of your life. You're not going to go anywhere till you have boundaries with yourself and say, I'm not going to live like this. I'm not going to abuse alcohol. I'm not going to abuse drugs. I'm going to have a plan for my life. Because when we don't have a plan and we're not intentional, we slip down to this carnal way of living where the enemy can get in so easily. Have we seen that in our society? Have we seen that happen where basic civility is no longer a value, and now we have politicians and we have um, celebrities using the F word in their, in their speeches? Have you seen that happen? That's what happens when you're not intentional about your speech when you're not intentional about your value, about honor, about the person you want to be. I thought about you guys. You were talking to me last week, and you were talking to me about um, Brian Fenimore. He said the number one sphere of responsibility is yourself. Is that kind of what he was saying? How did he say it? Yeah, so Brian Fenner was teaching one of his things that there's different spheres of responsibility, and the first one is the responsibility for ourselves. And Stephanie goes, I think we're failing that. <laughs> we were talking about food. We were talking about weight, which she's beautiful, and she doesn't need to worry about that. But she's like, I don't know, I don't know if, we're, if we're succeeding in our personal responsibility role. But I thought about that, and I'm like, if we're not intentional with ourselves, not on, we won't stay static. We will degrade. 
we will degrade. It's either up or down. There's no status quo, right? You know, even places like um, secular places, um, Apple, Apple, they have this thing called Apple University. When, when they hire people, they put them through this, this Apple University where you have to learn all the values of Apple, of which one is creativity. I was talking to a guy who works for N NVIDIA. You guys don't know what NVIDIA is? I think it's a graphics card for computers. And I was kind of giving him a little bit of a grief because um, in Silicon Valley, there's a high value for competition. And there's a high value for um, not just competition, but they, there's a thought that if I pressure you and pit you against each other, that I'll have a higher quality product. And it will, under that pressure cooker, you will produce like maybe you wouldn't have produced before. And I was just kind of pushing back on that value. And it's, I don't know who here maybe works Maybe Tim and you guys were, I don't know, works in this very creative kind of um, cutthroat environment. But for me, those values don't work, you guys. That's not a kind of value I would want to promote in my business. And yet there are businesses, Apple, I don't know about Microsoft, but some of these other ones, that's something that they actually want to teach their people. Because they want to teach them to be um, performers. That's how they're changing their culture. It's not how I want to change my culture. But that is changing culture. It's changing their culture. But it's, but it's not how I want to change culture. I want to change culture a totally different way. My scripture, just throw some scriptures in here so that we know this. we're going on track here. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. This is intentionality changes culture. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God wants to use you to change the culture. He wants to use your dreams. He wants to use your destiny. He wants to, do, to use every single thing he's put inside of you to change the culture. The question is, are you going to say yes to him? A long time ago, little bunny trail, a long time ago I was um, volunteering at a church as a women's, man, women's pastor, ministry. And the pastor there kept asking me, he kept saying, I want you to come on staff. I want you to come on staff. And my dad was a, um, I grew up in a, in a preacher's home, and I know what that looks like. And I said, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. It's going to be a volunteer. A volunteer has more power. You can say no, blah, 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 right? And so I was just going along my merry way, and every now and then I'd have conversations with the Lord. And one time I was in the car, and I, and I can't tell you that I heard this audibly, but I heard it exactly like this. I mean, it might not have been a voice, but it was words. It wasn't an impression. It wasn't a feeling. It was words. And I was talking to the Lord about this, and God said, when are you going to stop saying no to me? I said, yes, sir. I'm not saying no anymore. And I called up, and I took that job because God wanted me to take that job. And I was saying no to him out of my fear, out of fear of the unknown, fear of failure, control. I wanted to be in control. I didn't, I didn't want to be on someone's um, payroll and have to, have to answer to that, right? But God said, when are you going to stop saying no to me? And so my question to you is, are you saying no to God? 
Is there something God's put in your heart, a dream, a calling, a vision, something he's put into your heart that you're saying no to? I want you to think about that because that's not going to change culture. God needs you to change culture. He's, he's inviting you to co-partner with him to influence this culture because it, this culture needs you. It needs your dreams. It needs what you have to offer. Lastly, before we get, we're going to do a little exercise, because I know you guys would love doing that. Here's the thing. When you say yes to God, expect to get some pushback. Expect, don't be surprised that you're going to get pushback. And you're going to get pushback from your family. The people closest around you are going to be like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? You're going to get it from your friends. And you're going to get it from the world around you. They're not going to understand why you're doing it. They're not going to believe you. And you have to decide, is this the dream that God put in your heart? Is this what God has called you to do? And if you're going to do it, what's your intentional plan to get it done? How are you going to immerse yourself in those values to get it done? (laughs) Every single person who starts to intentionally pursue what God has called them to do is going to experience warfare. Expect it, identify it, and then war against it. First Chronicles 20.20, follow God's commands and he will give you success. Do not be afraid. Proverbs 2, 6 and 8 through 8, he plans success for the decent and honorable. He guards the course and protects the way of his faithful ones. Let me tell you, Bethel's come under a lot of criticism over what they've done. Chick-fil-A, you know, good land. They want to like shut Chick-fil-A down in in the country because they say it's anti-gay. Centura. Centura, you know, when it, it's a not-for-profit hospital, so whenever it goes into an area, it will do a, um, um, a community, not survey, but a, a, yes, a demographics to see if it could support another hospital. And if it doesn't, they won't put it in there. Other hospitals are not that way. UC Health is putting one up in Highlands Ranch because it's a well-to-do um, neighborhood. There was no demographic study done, but it's going right up in there because it's a for-profit organization. So whenever you say yes to the Lord, you need to expect some warfare. What does the scripture say? Greater is he that is in us that is in the world. And you're with your family who's going to do war with you. It's going to speak the truth to you. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I just pray for the dreams that you put in every single person's heart here. And we just release those dreams, Father God. I pray for more dreams. I pray for more of a download. I pray that they would get dreams and visions. And as they would walk through the day, you would talk to them over and over about what you've planted in their hearts and what you've called them to do. I pray that we would be, we would be culture changers, that we would influence the culture, that the culture doesn't influence us. We influence the culture. We're not victims. We are victors. We are overcomers. And so I just pray overcoming power into each person sitting here today, God. I pray that, Father, they would live an intentional lifestyle. They would pursue what you've placed in their heart. They would pursue it with all the passion that you've put in them. They would not give up. 
that would not grow weary, God, that we would just spur one another on with encouragement, prophetic words, Father, that we would speak life into each other. We'd speak over their dreams. We'd speak over their, their um, talent, their skill, everything that they have that you have poured in to make them unique, God, that we would be an encouragement to them and raise them up, Father. I bless them now as they go out, God. Let, let us have a great time of connecting, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.